must arm our airmen to outthink, outperform, outpartner, outinnovate any potential adversary. Air Force Basic Military Training has an updated curriculum with a new focus on readiness and lethality. The first command, the Air Force starts here. Hey, hey, everybody, welcome in. Thanks for the subscribe, stream, or download, however you might be consuming the pod, whether you're on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you might be out there in the world today. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Dan Hawkins from the AETC Public Affairs Office and your host for this professional development podcast dedicated to bringing total force, Big A Airmen, insight, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from the recruiting, training, and education world. On the pod today, we're talking with Major Adam Smith, call sign Boomer, the architect of the remotely piloted aircraft training next program or RPA training next. And he's gonna go in depth on this 19th Air Force initiative and how it is integrating modern technology and innovative strategies in an effort to transform how our RPA pilots and sensor operators are developed. It also ties directly to our AETC priority of transforming the way we learn so at the end of the day we can develop the airmen that we need. And as you listen to Boomer throughout the pod today, it's really fascinating as he describes the effort to move to a competency-based training concept where the RPA students undergo a tailor-made program or a learner-centric program based on their capabilities and needs rather than that traditional model where an entire class follows a rigid construct and then transitions through the entire pipeline together. And that really has been the long-term goal to transition to that tailor-made program. And so incorporating lessons learned from pilot training next, one of the big keys to this program was streamlining the initial pipeline from two courses down to just one course called the RPA course, where future pilots and sensor operators train together and and learn in the context of the mission uh, in a holistic sense. And another really cool aspect or a big part of this RPA training is cross-checking and task management. Boomer talks about uh, the training next program for RPAs, baselining technology across all phases of training including past the initial skills point out to the formal training units and even thinking about the operational context. So Boomer is also going to talk to the artificial intelligence aspect of the RPA Training Next program and how building trust in AI principles and instruction early will help benefit the pilots and sensor operators of the future. And he also talks to the integration of the sensor operators earlier in training with the pilots, um, which before was just a four day process and now that's been expanded out to almost four weeks. So um, a lot more interoperability and integration included there. And the sensor operators also will have the benefit of some T6 simulator modifications that are being made to add realism and more depth to the training. RPA training next on the Air Force Starts Here, launches right now. So, Boomer, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I've been in the Air Force about 22 years now. The majority of that has been working with uh, RPAs in one form or another, uh, going back to the early days of the RQ-1 in the Bosnia days. 
Uh, so I've, I've seen almost every asset uh, aspect of uh, RPAs from uh, the sensor operator side to the pilot side to the exploitation side and the, and the TED side as well. Uh, so I, I think I have a, a unique perspective on, on how we utilize RPAs uh, in the Air Force and the DOD uh, at large. So you uh, end up at Holloman and you get asked to look at the RPA training enterprise. Can you kind of talk to the evolution of RPA training next and, and kind of where you started um, and how you've evolved and, and ended up where you're at today? Sure. So uh, I was picked up about two years ago, um, a little under two years ago, to uh, take a look at the RPA training enterprise and um, try to determine if there's better ways to train, leveraging new technologies, new methods of learning, uh, to really accelerate how we get our pilots and sensor operators through the training pipeline. Um, one of the initial steps I did was to go take a look at what uh, Pilot Training Next was doing uh, in Austin at the time. So I spent a lot of time with those guys uh, learning what they had done uh, the, the things that worked out for them, the mistakes that might have been made at, at, along the way, so I can kind of learn from their mistakes and learn from their successes as well and uh, adapt a lot of what they were doing uh, to the RPA enterprise. So that, that was kind of the initial step, is working with uh, the great team at uh, Pilot Training Next uh, to start to uh, formulate the plan for RPA training. Um, one of the things we realized early on with RPA Training Next was that we couldn't take a, a simplistic look at undergraduate training and apply fixes to that part of the pipeline. Because then all we would be doing is shifting the bottleneck uh, that we had at that point in time from the undergraduate phase to the graduate phase at the uh, FTU level. Um, and that would just create a backlog at another part of that pipeline. So what we determined we needed to do was to take a holistic approach to training, take a look at the entirety of the pipeline from what we're calling cradle to combat and to uh, find better ways of learning, better uh, technology, to increase the realism of the training in order to produce higher caliber uh, pilot and sensor operator for uh, remotely pilot aircraft platforms. Yeah, and it's kind of part of that overall force development push here in Air Education and Training Command to develop the airmen we need. And so can you kind of talk about how this uh, helps further that? Yeah, absolutely. We didn't want to just grab the latest and greatest technology, you know, the shiny thing out there, which is which is VR, um, and, and force that into how we train. Um, while, while it works well for the undergraduate phase, for certain phases of training, for the FTU and some other parts of our training, it doesn't really apply for, for remotely piloted aircraft pilots or even sensor operators for that matter. Um, so it wasn't a matter of just grabbing technology and, and forcing it into a, a, a new construct. Um, we actually needed to take a look at what are the requirements for an RPA pilot and sensor operator um, at, at the tail end of the pipeline once they get to the operational unit and they're involved in combat operations. What are the requirements for those individuals? And then how do we trace that back through the entirety of the pipeline to ensure that they are getting the training they need at the right point in time uh, to produce those higher caliber av aviators? Yeah, and it's really interesting because current RPA training really has focused on training uh, as we start kind of at that beginning part um, on that undergraduate pilot training model for the T6 Texan II. Um, can you talk about um, what 
the genesis was to kind of really examine that from an RPA perspective and make that change um, and say, we need to maybe do this a different way. You know, you're exactly right there. The, the RPA training pipeline was, was born out of necessity. We needed more RPA pilots uh, at the time, and they, they took a close look at, at how we trained through UPT and determined that RPA pilots at the time didn't necessarily need all of that training. Um, so they, they shortened the pipeline. They grabbed something off the shelf, which they already knew and, and had instructors ready to train to, which was the T6 model. So the, the beginning phases of the RPA pipeline, uh, RPA pilots will fly the T6 in the simulator only, uh, and that's where they get the predominant uh, amount of the training uh, for the undergraduate phase. A large part of the focus of that was on instrument flying, which is which is very important, um, but they went very far in depth into that instrument training. So we took a close look at that, and uh, we determined there were some things that could probably be removed. There were other things that could be altered to better reflect how RPA aviators actually fly their aircraft. Um, so one of the things we did was we took a look at how we navigate with, with RPAs and uh, the multi-tasking capability uh, that our aviators have. Um, so they have a, a, a great number of screens they're looking at in their RPA cockpit. And trying to process all of that data that's coming into the cockpit constantly. Um, so we wanted to ensure that multitasking capability and that navigation capability reflected what was required of an RPA aviator. So we brought the um, tactical situational display that is very similar to what we leverage in the MQ-9, and we're moving that into the undergraduate phase. Um, there'll be Merc chat in there as well. Um, so we have all these additional screens that these students will be monitoring even as they're flying their T6 uh, simulator, so they can build that cross-check that replicates the cross-check required of an RPA aviator, um, and then also navigating um, mainly using GPS uh, on their tactical situation display, very similar to how the MQ-9 and the RQ-4 uh, navigate at this point in time. One of the limitations we saw also was that the sensor operators were showing up to the FTU um, without a solid understanding of crew resource management or CRM. Uh, we trace that back to potentially uh, being uh, a problem in the undergraduate pipeline where they weren't getting exposure to that. The sensor operators and pilots were only paired up for a handful of days, about four days of training together in the undergraduate phase. Well, and what that meant was when they showed up at the FTU level, they then had to learn those skills. They had to learn how to run checklists together, handle emergency procedures together, um, and, and operate as a crew. So what we're working on doing right now is increasing that level of training in the undergraduate phase where we're going from four days of training to four weeks of training together where the pilot and sensor operator will be sitting side by side in undergraduate training in the simulator, uh, running checklists together, handling emergency procedures, doing some rudimentary level ISR um, and things of that nature to improve and enhance their training. And these kinds of changes that you're talking about, both uh, in curriculum and with technology, it, it really speaks to competency-based training, whereas maybe in the past we kind of just followed this tailor-made program that had you know, certain checkpoints along the way and everybody in the class followed that construct um, together with no real flexibility, right? That's, that's very true. Um, when you have a rigid pipeline uh, that doesn't allow that flexibility, what you get is uh, everyone enters at the same time and everyone exits right around the same time. 
there are individuals that can move quicker. Uh, there are individuals that require a little more time. And by not tailoring the training to those individuals, I think we're missing a lot of opportunities to build those higher quality aviators and get them to the operational units potentially sooner. Um, not only sooner, but also that frees up some extra bandwidth in the pipeline to potentially increase the numbers that are going through uh, in that typical training year. Yeah, and I, I think that, that the competency-based training concept is something, obviously, pilot training next um, and, and the different uh, learning next initiatives across AETC um, are really looking at to, to maybe provide a lot more flexibility to uh, the pipeline. So if you could maybe talk about, um, you know, the old version of RPA training, it kind of had two phases of training, whereas now you're kind of looking at creating, in essence, a blended course. For the undergraduate phase of the um, the old pipeline for RPA training, uh, there were two main courses they went through um, at Randolph, and that was the RPA Instrument Qualification course and the RPA Fundamentals course. The RPA Instrument Qualification course was a uh, T6 simulator-based course, which focused predominantly on instrument flying in the T6. So there was some uh, basic aviation skills and skills, some pattern work, some contact work, um, some various maneuvers, and then from that point onward, it was all focused on uh, flying off an instrument to ensure that the students coming out of there understood instrument flying um, and, and were able then to enter the FTU prepared. After that instrument qualification course, they went to RPA fundamentals course, which was more of an academic course focused on um, RPAs in general. So some information on data links, EM theory, um, uh, infrared uh, payloads, etc., threats, um, awareness and avoidance. So. It was, it was mainly academic, like I stated, uh, focusing on uh, helping get them spun up on, on uh, RPAs. So when they showed up at the FTU, they at least knew a little bit more about RPAs and how we operated with them. There was a, um, a desktop trainer that was leveraged for that training as well to show them how to build an operational mission or an emergency mission for an RPA, to show them uh, how to control an RPA, how to fly it, and then a little bit of time spent working together with the pilot and sensor operator where the sensor operator would control the, the payload, um, the targeting system on a uh, MQ-9-like simulator. With the new pipeline, we're kind of getting away from that concept and we're blending them together. So instead of two separate courses, there'll be one course. Uh, and we're also focusing a lot on mission-based training. So that is the students doing things within the simulator. There's a mission-based reason for doing those things. So for example, holding. Um, while teaching T6 instrument flying, they might do a teardrop hold. Uh, they might fly off of VORs, attack hands, et cetera. Uh, a lot of things that we don't do with RPAs. So they'll get a little bit of exposure to that in the new course, but not to the, as in-depth of a level. Um, and then while they're doing their holds with the T6, it'll be in a similar hold pattern that a RPA might leverage. So for example, with the MQ-9, uh, a wheel hold circling around a target or doing a figure eight hold to the west so that they can see the west side of a, of a building or entry doorway. Um, and what that does is help them to better understand uh, the mission-based reasons for doing things. When they're doing that uh, figure eight hold to the west or they're doing some other type of hold, uh, there's a reason for it. It's to stay out of a threat envelope or it's to coordinate with the JTAC prior to entering the ROS. Or like I said, it's for an ISR type reason, being able to see that western door uh, on a building prior to infilling on the target. So we're trying to bring that mission-based training to the left 
There'll be some rudimentary wave top level exposure to cast or close air support. Um, they'll learn what a nine line is. They'll learn how to run a nine line uh, on the radios in the simulator, working with a simulated JTAC. Uh, there's some basic level of, of weapons employment is the plan as well. So that when they show up at the FQs, they're not experts on these things, but they've had some exposure so that now we can focus on adapting that to how the MQ-9 operates um, at the FT level. For the RQ-4 guys, they'll get um, some other exposures such as oceanic crossings, diplomatic clearances, ICAO procedures, high altitude ISR. So they'll get that exposure to how they're going to actually be operating with their, their RQ-4 uh, in the operational realm. And it's really interesting because with the left loading of a, a lot more introductory concepts, you're really training the next generation of RPA pilots and sensor operators to uh, not just how to either fly an RPA or manage the sensors on a on a aircraft, but also just how to train in the context of a mission so they're better prepared to do the mission when they get out to their operational locations uh, sooner. Exactly. We think that exposure is going to be very helpful. Um, and by getting this to that, that to them earlier, I think in the training phase, they're going to feel more tie-ins to what they're going to be doing operationally once they graduate from the FTU level. Uh, we also think that by getting that earlier exposure, we can now at the FTU level focus on, on higher level skills or tailoring those skills that they've already developed to how our, uh, their combat platform uh, actually operates. And so what is the what does the timeline look like under the the RPA training next concept? What how, what are you expecting that uh, process to actually look like from a student perspective in terms of time, or is that just really dependent on a lot of other factors? It really is dependent on a lot of other factors. Um, we hope to get a test class through here uh, in in the short term. Uh, and that's really going to give us a lot of data on, on how we need to adapt it to meet the needs of the FCU and the operational units uh, downrange. So we're going to be gathering a lot of that data to determine that, but we're thinking probably about a 20% savings in time um, with this new course. Uh, we'll get rid of some bottlenecks, uh, and then, like we said, we'll, we'll focus on the actual skills required of RPA pilots and sensor operators, uh, and that's going to help us with some time savings as well. Um, but like I said earlier, we're taking that holistic approach to training, looking, looking at the entirety of that pipeline from cradle to combat. And while one phase of training might see um, some minimal gains, I think when you look at the entirety of the pipeline, that's where you're going to see those huge gains. Uh, and we'll really get that data once we've starting, started to get some of these test classes through that entire pipeline, uh, all the way through the mission qualification training at the operational units. One thing that I really found interesting as, as we did a little bit of homework and background into your program at RPA Training Next is the baselining of technology across all phases of training. Can you kind of talk to that and what that really means? Sure. I think that's an extremely important facet to what we're doing with RPA Training Next. What we're trying to do is, is have a, that common baseline of technology across all phases of training through the whole pipeline. So. Uh, we're actually reaching back even prior to um, the, the undergraduate level. We're trying to get some of this technology embedded at the Air Force Academy as well for them to leverage in their RPA training pipeline uh, or, or program uh, at the Air Force Academy. So by having that common baseline of technology, what that means is students that are in undergraduate training, they'll get used to certain levels of technology. They'll get used to using um, the multi capabilities, using uh, their tactical situation display, 
using Merck Chat, using the other tools available to them, but also the AI, the artificial intelligence technology that we're embedding in the undergraduate training phase. Um, there's several components of that. One is called pattern of life, which injects realistic entities into the sim. So you have these villagers running around, behaving in a very realistic manner, reacting to whatever is being thrown at them in the environment. Uh, and then the students can do ISR, they can do weapons deliveries, they can do these types of things against those, those, that environment and actually see it play out in a realistic manner. Also, uh, artificial intelligence coaching, so uh, Viper uh, is what it's called. Um, we worked with PTN on that one, uh, and we're adapting it to the needs of RPA aircrew, and we're going to leverage that in our undergraduate uh, training as well so that a student can learn in the simulator without having to have an actual uh, instructor present. If that instructor is present, however, uh, Viper will be watching what the student's doing and providing some additional information to the instructor to help with the, code, uh, the instruction of that individual student. All that baseline of technology, we plan also uh, instituting at the FTU level. We've already started implementing some of it into our MQ-9 simulators uh, at Holloman. And uh, so far, all signs are pointing to it uh, actually increasing the fidelity of the sim, providing more realistic training to our students. Uh, that same technology, once we've kind of validated it at the FTU and proven that it works and it's actually beneficial to our students, the plan is to um, push that off to the operational units as well for use in mission qualification training, mission rehearsals, as well as continuation training uh, in their simulators. So there'll be this common baseline technology across all phases of training. The student will get used to it in the undergraduate phase. When they show up at the FTU, that same technology will be there. They'll already know how to work with it. They'll already know how to leverage it for their training. And then ultimately at their combat lines as well, that same technology being embedded there. Uh, one other component of that is a database uh, tracking the individual students. We're still in the development, the developmental phase of that. Um, but uh, so far, it looks like it's going to work out. Uh, we're going to have a database at the undergraduate phase uh, that is tracking everything the students do in the simulator uh, with the login assigned to each individual student. So we can actually go back and take a look at how they did the sim, how did they perform, what is the AI saying about their performance metrics, and we can do some in-depth analysis on what they did in the undergraduate phase. We want to embed that same database at the FTU level as well so that we can push the information from the undergraduate phase to the FTU level. And now we can track that student through the FTU and we can correlate that data back to how, they're, uh, how they performed in the undergraduate phase. Once again, once we've kind of validated that capability, we want to push that to the operational units. So we'll have this, this common database following these students through all phases of training throughout their Air Force career. So we draw some, uh, some really unique correlations to say, here's how this individual performs uh, in mission qualification training at the operational unit. And maybe if they had some struggles or issues there, we can attempt to correlate back to how they did at the FTU and how they did undergraduate training. So we can enact some improvements at those levels to help with uh, future students coming through the pipeline. Yeah, and you kind of talked to, um, uh, in an earlier conversation about how all of this uh, experience with the baselining of technology ultimately will build trust um, in those AI principles. So throughout an airman's career, um, they, they ha can use that capability. How important is that? Trust is huge. Anytime you're talking about artificial intelligence, trust is a big part, portion of that uh, because you're working with a computer, right? And um, if you don't trust what that computer is telling you or what that artificial intelligence software is telling you, you're probably less likely to heed what it's trying to teach you or, or what it's trying to tell you to do in training. So the earlier we can develop that trust in the program, 
I think what that'll mean is in later phases of training where they are leveraging that artificial intelligence software, if it tells them something that they should be doing or something they just messed up uh, in their training profile, they're going to trust that what it told them is actually true and they're going to do that. I mean, if you think of, of uh, navigating with, you know, let's say, Google Navigation or even Waze, you know, the first time you're driving down the interstate and it tells you to turn off on some random road, you're probably going to be hesitant to do that if you've never used the software before because you think you know more about where you're going and what you're doing uh, than this, this device that's telling you to turn. But then as soon as you reach that um, traffic in front of you, maybe cause you a crash or some other problem uh, with road construction, you're going to realize, wow, I should have maybe listened to what it said and, and turned back to the mile ago, and I wouldn't have been stuck in, in this traffic for an hour. Um, and I think once you start to build that trust in the software, uh, that's when you really start to see some big gains coming through. Yeah, and you're not only doing some of the technology from the pilot's perspective, but you're also doing it from the sensor operator perspective as well. Yes, with, with RPAs, we, we work under a crew mentality. So the, the, in the MQ-9, the pilot sits in the left seat. They've got the sensor operator right next to them controlling the uh, multi-spectral targeting system, laser designating targets, uh, finding the enemy on the battlefield. So we have to make sure that we're not just focusing on the pilots. We have to work with the, uh, the sensor operators as well. Um, so like I previously stated, we're, we're working on, on expanding the number of days of training that we work together. So the sensor operator will be sitting next to the pilot in the undergraduate phase for about four weeks of training. Um, we're working to bolt, at least within the simulator, um, a targeting pod onto the bottom of the T6 to see if that maybe will meet our needs. So that as the pilot is flying around in their, in their simulated aircraft, the sensor operator has a targeting pod that they can be controlling uh, to look for targets, to start learning some of those skills that they're going to need at the FTU and the, and the operational units as well for their training. So we need to make sure that, like you stated, we're not just focusing on the pilot. The sensor operator is an integral component to how we operate uh, and fly RPAs in the Air Force today and, and well into the future. So we need to ensure that they are getting the training that they need um, to be that uh, combat-ready air crew coming out of training. And as we get ready to, to, to close up the podcast you, you guys have been working on this, like you said, for a couple of years. And so a lot of the things that you're working on, you're kind of getting past that development phase. Um, how do you see the evolution and the actual implementation of a lot of these things that you guys have been working on moving forward? We've been working on, on the entirety of the pipeline. So there's individual components at each level of training. We've got a lot we're doing at the undergraduate phase. There are several components that we're working on at the FTU. Uh, we've got a new syllabus that will be coming out in the near future with those closer to that competency-based training. But I think you're really going to see those gains once all of these individual components meld together and, and become actual combat-ready. Uh, that's where you're going to see those huge gains develop. Um, with our PA training next, with pilot training next, with all these next initiatives, I think it's important to maintain the momentum that has been originally generated uh, well into the future. Uh, this, this can't be something that just fades away. Um, you know, we've done a lot of good things, I think, thus far for the RPA enterprise, uh, but there's still much more to come. And as long as we're, we're leaning forward, we're interfacing with industry, we're looking at what new technology is out there, we're working with academia and uh, Air Force Research Labs and a lot of other people, and as long as we continue that, uh, to look at new methods of learning, new ways of training to ensure our students are getting what they need, 
um, I, I think it was a bright future for uh, not just RPA Training Next, but the, uh, the, uh, the, the training enterprise writ large. So we are going to continue uh, with RPA Training Next. Um, we've got some new individuals coming on board about to take over the program and continue what we've been doing. But it's important that we continue to maintain the funding. We continue to maintain the support for these types of initiatives so that we don't find ourselves in the same boat um, 10 years from now asking the question of why are we still training the way we've been training for the past decade or more, right? So we have to continue that focus. We've got to continue that push and, and ensure that we're continuing to look at what's out there. How can we better our training? And how can we, we generate these combat-ready air crews in, in the quickest amount of time, but also with the highest level of capability? It's not just about time. It's about the skill they're actually graduating with. And we can't sacrifice one for the other. It needs to be that holistic look at the not just the individual, but the entirety of the pipeline and, and what actually uh, we require of RPA aviators uh, now and well into the future. Well, I certainly appreciate your time today, Boomer, and pretty exciting stuff. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Really was interesting to see how these last couple of years have played out as we followed the RPA Training Next Enterprise and Boomer Smith and his team have done a wonderful job bringing this learner-centric model to the RPA community and we'll see where it goes from here. Boomer Smith, big thanks to him. He's getting ready to transition out of AATC um, and move on to his next assignment, but thanks to him and we'll keep tabs on how this program progresses uh, moving forward. As a reminder, you can follow AETC and the AETC command team on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as catch up on all the latest AETC news at www.aetc.af.mil. For our entire AETC public affairs team, I'm Dan Hawkins. So long. We'll talk to you next time on The Air Force Starts Here.